Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. I've been voting on NBA awards for 30 years now. I know, it's a crazy number. And yet I can't remember a year that I felt so conflicted about who to put at the top of my MVP ballot. This episode is going to be about why I think that is and ultimately, hopefully, help me make my decision after weighing all the factors that have created that conflict. Let me start by saying that there very well could be a name added to my five-man ballot that I did not expect to be there even as recently as a week ago, simply because I had not given him a whole lot of consideration. He wasn't even an all-star this season, and... That's the New York Knicks point guard, Jalen Brunson. My Fox Sports radio colleague, Doug Gottlieb, brought his name up on an appearance I did with him a few days ago in light of both what the Knicks have done this year, which is at least a 10-game improvement over last year, 47-33 and 33 as I write this, and because they've gone 6-5 and five in the 11 games that Brunson did not play this season, along with the Dallas Mavericks' collapse since Brunson left via free agency last summer. Now, I want to make something clear about that collapse. The word itself, collapse, might be too strong for what has happened since the Mavericks traded Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie and an unprotected 2029 first-round pick to the Brooklyn Nets for Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris. The Mavs were the sixth seed when the trade was made, but they were also 28 and 26, essentially tied with the seventh-seeded 29 and 27 Timberwolves, and with both the Pelicans and Warriors a half game behind them. So it's not as if they're plummet out of the playoffs that we've seen since down past the play-in tournament, is really all that extraordinary. They were one loss 
coupled with one win by the T-Wolves, Pelicans, and Warriors at that time from being the seventh seed the day after the trade. So if you thought the trade was going to make the Mavericks appreciably better, well, then that's on you. I also don't believe any of this came as a shock to owner Mark Cuban or that he's even massively upset about it. I believe he knew this was a potential outcome and is actually quite okay with it for a couple of reasons. One, by assuring themselves of not making the play-in tournament, of going to the lottery, they assure themselves of not having to give up this year's first-round pick to the Nets as part of that Kyrie deal. That means they still have a shot at Victor Wembanyama. It's a long shot, I think 4%. Uh, but at the very least, a path to adding a decent and relatively inexpensive player to next year's squad via the lottery. If they re-sign Kyrie, which Cuban has said he's fully committed to doing, that's going to eat up all their cap space and leave them relatively no way of improving the roster beyond what they currently have. Now, will that be enough? Will any of that be enough to keep Doncic in Dallas now that the rumors have surfaced he may want out next summer if the team doesn't improve? And what exactly does that mean? Like, how much do they have to improve? We'll see. International players generally have not bailed on the teams that drafted them. That's why I've always thought that if I was a GM, I'd look long and hard if there was a franchise-caliber player from overseas. I'd look long and hard at picking them first because generally they're not going to hold me hostage. But there's a lot that's different about Doncic from international players of the past. So again, we'll see. Where the Mavs ultimately screwed up is not finding a way to keep Brunson or send him to New York in a sign-and-trade deal. Cuban can blame Rick Brunson, Jalen's dad, for steering his son to New York after they hired him as an assistant coach, but the fact is the Mavs didn't cultivate the Brunson family's cooperation. Sure, Nick's team president, Leon Rose, had an inside track as Rick's agent and Jalen's godfather, but Knowing Rick as I do, I assure you his first objective was to do what was best for his son, not take care of a longtime friend. As a former player, he knew what his son was worth, and the Mavs were slow in agreeing with him. The Knicks were not. I have to be honest, I did not think Jalen would do what he's done in New York, and I wasn't convinced he was worth what they gave him, which is $104 million for four years. I've always admired his game, but I thought his size would be a disadvantage he couldn't overcome as a cornerstone player. We'll see if he can be that, if he can be a go-to guy in the postseason as well as he's been in the regular season. But one reason to be optimistic is what he did helping the Mavericks to the Western Conference Finals last year. Most players see their efficiency or production dip in the playoffs, especially in their first few ventures into the postseason. Brunson was just as good across the board, especially last year. Now, this challenge will be a little different with the Knicks in that he is not playing alongside Luka Doncic. He is essentially the Knicks' Luka with similar expectations. Not saying he's Luka, just saying he has to play that role. But at this point, he's already surpassed what I thought he could be, and so I'm not going to bet against him finding a way to get the Knicks to the second round, which would be a massive accomplishment.
more than they've done in quite some time. So as I think about it, I'm pretty sure that Brunson will be on my ballot, even if he's not among the first three slots, which are reserved for the previously mentioned Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. Now the question is, what order should I put those three in? One of the biggest issues I, and I imagine other voters with any kind of conscience face, is blocking out all the external noise surrounding this year's MVP race. Blocking it out, but not overreacting to it. Two examples, both involving Embiid. When he sat out a recent matchup with Jokic and the Nuggets in Denver, more than a few media pundits suggested that he could not possibly be the MVP if he was willing to duck a rival for the award. Some suggested that he did it out of fear that if Jokic outplayed him in that game, it could cost him the award. I just find that hard to believe, knowing how confident Embiid is and the fact that in their previous meeting, he thoroughly outplayed the Joker, going for 47-18 and 18 in a 76ers win. Someone also pointed out that he's never played in Denver since Jokic has been there. For one reason or another, Embiid has missed those games, and the suggestion is he's afraid to play Jokic at high altitude. Again, uh, there's not enough evidence for me to follow that conspiracy theory. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's one game a year that the Philadelphia 76ers play in Denver as a result of being in the Eastern Conference and the Nuggets being in the West. So there can be plenty of reasons why he might have missed that game each year, especially considering his injury history. It's just the opportunity or the possibility of it being coincidental as, in, as opposed to intentional is just, so, is just too great for me to buy into it. The other example of something that can be misleading when it comes to trying to decide who to vote for is that Coach Doc Rivers said the MVP race is over after Embiid's 52-point performance in a win over the Boston Celtics. Now, that's as silly as disqualifying him because he didn't play against Jokic in Denver this season. It's also convenient, seeing as two days later, the 76ers got smoked by the Heat with Embiid contributing a quiet 21 points, and then beating the Hawks the next night with Embiid not playing to save him from the strenuous task of playing in back-to-back. So if he won the MVP race with the 52 against the Celtics, did he subsequently give it back as a result of the performance against Miami? You see how this could go. By the way, I, I need to correct something. I think I said that the Mavericks retained their pick for this year rather than sending it to the Nets. And it's actually the this year's pick would have gone to the Knicks if 
uh, it's top 10 protected. So the Knicks would have gotten their pick, and now they will not as a result of Dallas not making the postseason or even the play-in. All right. Anyway, the flip side to these statements by Doc and by the pundits is not to overreact to those assertions, to give more weight to voting for Embiid after the false suggestion that he should be DQ'd or not voting for him to defy Doc's assertion that he had locked up the award. Same goes for the whole notion that Jokic shouldn't win it because he's not worthy of entry into the privileged circle of players who have won the award three years in a row. And that would be Larry Bird, Bill Russell, and Will Chamberlain. That's not a legitimate reason. But I understand why it would occur to media members who are voting and that uh, on some level it would be in the back of their minds. It's not for me because this would be the first time that I would put him at the top of my ballot. He simply has not won enough in the past. It's been too analytics-driven, the voting push for him to be MVP, for my tastes. We'll get to that. Um, There are plenty of intangibles to consider, elements that the MVP candidates are benefiting from that aren't necessarily their doing. For example, Brooke Lopez came back in phenomenal shape and is an odds-on favorite to win Defensive Player of the Year. Why? Because he's up for what would be his last high-paying contract. Now, that is not a motivation provided by Giannis' leadership. That is pure self-interest. And I'm not at all mad at him for it, but it is a huge factor in the Bucks' success this season. He has been an Ironman, playing in all but three of their games. Do you know the last time this 15-year vet played this many minutes in a season? It was his third in the league. And it's worth taking note that the Bucks have lost two of the three games that Brooke didn't play in. And they got smoked in the losses. 16, losing by 16 to the Pacers and by 23 to the Grizzlies. Both home games. And the win was over the Magic, albeit in Orlando. And that's another element I wanted to consider. Not just how the MVP candidates' teams play when they're not available, proving how potentially indispensable they are to their team's success, but how their teams play when key teammates are not available. The Nuggets are the least successful among the three MVP candidates playing without Jokic. They've gone four and eight. The Bucs have gone 11-7 without Giannis, and the Sixers have gone 10-5 when MB didn't play. But the reason I'm not putting a whole lot of emphasis on that element, which would suggest that Jokic is the most valuable among the three, is that the Nuggets are not nearly as good without Jamal Murray, going 9-7 in the games that he missed uh, going into the final weekend of the season. Aaron Gordon is important too, seeing as they've gone 7-6 in games that he didn't play. They're also not as successful, surprisingly, when Michael Porter Jr. doesn't play going 11-7. and What that tells me is that the Nuggets need to have everybody available to be as good as they are. That Jokic, as I've long thought, only makes the Nuggets elite when he has the pieces around him to utilize with his extraordinary passion, passing and vision. It's not like he makes 
everybody and anybody better. The players have to be at a certain level for him to take advantage of what he's capable of doing. In watching the Bucks this season, I suspected that Drew Holiday was a bigger reason for their success than anybody gave him credit for, other than Andre Iguodala, who earlier this season made an impassioned plea to me that Giannis would not be Giannis and the Bucks would not be the Bucks without Drew. I believe Drew and Andre played together at in Philadelphia. Uh, so again, it may be colored by that, but I have to say that the record without Drew bears that out. The Bucks have been eight and six in the 14 games that he did not play. Looking at how much Embiid's supporting cast is key to the Sixers winning provided a different picture. Actually, one that surprised me. Philly has gone 14-9 and without James Harden. That's a 600 winning percentage. Not quite as high as the 640 winning percentage that they have overall, but it's not that far off. And here's another surprise. The Sixers actually win at a higher clip without Tyrese Maxey going 14-7 and seven without him for a 660 winning percentage. Something they might want to consider before breaking the bank to re-sign him. I don't want you to think that those are the only factors that I've weighed. These are just some of the elements I've thought about in the last few days that I hadn't considered up until now. And the reason I wanted to check them out is that a player's impact on winning is far more important to me than pure stats. The player's mere presence on the court can mean success, even when his individual stats aren't eye-popping. The same can be said for having great stats that are actually not really relevant to winning. If I had a reluctance to put Embiid at the top of my ballot, it was that. Jokic is the only one among the three whose team has a losing record without him. I attribute that at least in part to how unique Jokic is and the composition of the Nuggets roster. They have to play a completely different way without him because DeAndre Jordan and Thomas Bryant are his replacements. Now, do we credit Jokic for that? Or do we put that on Mike Malone and their management on how they've constructed the roster and how they've decided to play and make themselves so Jokic-dependable. Embiid's backups, Dwayne Dedman, Montrez Harrell, Paul Reed, aren't anywhere close to his class either. They can't do what he does. But the way the Sixers play, it's easier to function without him for a game now and then. And they have players who have led teams at various times in various places. Tobias Harris has done that. James Harden has obviously done that. Asking them to step in the role of being the primary focus of a team is not something new to them. You can't say that about Michael Porter Jr. can't really say that about Aaron Gordon. Even Jamal Murray has, not, has very rarely been in that role. Only time I can think of him being in that role was in the bubble. And that, again, was with Jokic there. Now, the Bucs don't have anyone else remotely like Giannis, but they can cobble together what he provides from their complementary players. Lopez can be more of a defensive presence when Giannis is out. 
Drew can pick up his scoring responsibility, as can Bobby Portis. And they've got a whole host of smart veterans who on any given night can rise to the occasion and give them what they're missing when Giannis isn't there. Still, Giannis has led the Bucs to the best record in the league. The Bucs winning percentage with him, 71%, is higher than Embiid's or Jokic's with their respective teams. It's really, really hard for me not to reward that. Accomplishing that goes beyond what happens on the court in games. It's how a guy conducts himself in practice, in the locker room, on the team bus, the camaraderie he creates, the the attention to detail he demonstrates, the focus he maintains on the ultimate goal of winning a title day in and day out. And yes, I consider all those elements to being most valuable. I know Giannis does all of those things. I don't know if Embiid and Jokic do. I know at one time, Embiid did not, and I've been given the impression that Embiid has matured a tremendous amount over the last year or two. I also know that Jokic does not have the firebrand personality to pull guys into line when they fall out of it. Embiid has a much stronger, get on my back, I'll take us there, uh, personality than Jokic does. But... You know, we went through all of what we went through with Ben Simmons, and Embiid never seemed to speak up. He did after the fact. And I get the sense that he's a little more vocal than he's ever been. So I'm going to say he's moving in the right direction. Maybe not all that Giannis is, but certainly among the three, the closest to Giannis in that department. I also didn't want my vote for Embiid to be colored by the overwhelming push for him by his fellow players. There's a lot of reasons for that, I believe. One, they feel as I do, that he deserved to win last year. Embiid was, in case I haven't mentioned that, Embiid was at the top of my ballot last year. That's not a good enough reason to give it to him this year, though. The second is that a lot of those speaking out, saying he should be the MVP this year, identify with him in a way that they don't with Jokic or Giannis because they're international players. They were born elsewhere. Embiid was born in Cameroon, but he came to the United States when he was 16 for high school and went to college at Kansas. His attitude and approach to the game are far more American than either Giannis or Nikola, both of whom learned the game and started their professional careers overseas. I just sense a kinship with Joel by his fellow NBA players that I don't sense with the other two. Adding how well the Sixers and Embiid have fared without their next best two players, Harden and Maxi, makes me more comfortable with all the other reasons that I feel compelled to put him at the top of my ballot. He's leading the league in scoring. His shot blocking is far more prominent than either Jokic or Giannis. His foul drawing, which benefits the entire team by getting the Sixers into the bonus, and his free throw making, which is twice as high as Jokic's, and slightly higher than Giannis, even though Giannis takes more free throws, is also an important consideration. So, after contemplating all this with and for all of you, it's settled. 
Joel Embiid is my pick for MVP this year. Now I just have to figure out who I put second. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. But I would suspect that we will have played the play-in games and we will have our playoff matchup set. So that's a very likely place that I'm going to go. Once we know who's playing who, we can set our expectations for who we expect to get to the second round. And I imagine Lakers, if they get there, will probably be part of that conversation. In the meantime, as always... Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.